Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon. We are the twice-weekly podcast dedicated to celebrating the radio show turned podcast, Too Beautiful to Live. My name is Mike Frizzell, and on Mondays we give you a recap of the previous week's episodes. But on Fridays we do a tribute show. Sometimes we put together a clip show. Once a month we have LRB staffer Phyllis Fletcher dive into the archives for her favorite moments. But on the other Fridays, we like to have a fan of the show come on to talk about their relationship with TBTL and play their favorite clip. We have sort of a different take on that this week, which I'll explain in a minute. Uh, first, I need to welcome my partner in life, in love, in crime, and in bro chat, all the way from suburban Rochester, New York, is Bobby Pape. Hey, Bobby. I am doing well. I'm coming to you from the Woodcliffe Hotel and Spa in Fairport, New York. Uh, Fairport, the crown jewel of the Erie Canal. Wow. That's that's a lot to live up to. I hope yeah, it does it for you. I saw the view. You you tweeted the view, and that sure looked nice. Yeah, they put us up on the fifth floor. There's a golf course. There's a pool. Usually we stay here around Christmas time, and it's just a desolate winter wasteland. Uh, but it's actually beautiful right now. Uh, I am here because my aunt is getting married this weekend, and uh, more on that on the next show I'm on because <laughs> that's going to be a whole story into itself. But that's not why we're here today. We're here today to right a wrong. Yes, yes, that's the thing. Uh, Bobby, we had you on uh, very early on, uh, I think because I was trying to get my claws into you uh, to take on some responsibility for this, as I like to do as little as possible. So we had you on, It was it the third show that we ever did? That's right. Uh, it's episode three, Little Red Bandwagon number three. And the title of that episode was Game of Thrones of Cards of House of Lies of Cats, Trust No One. So this was uh, a celebration of your cat rolling, right? Our our cat rolling. I I'm, I took a lot of initiative um, with the cat rolling, but it, it was a community effort. You helped a bunch. Genevieve helped. A bunch of other people helped here and there, and it also grew legs. There are still cat rolls that I'm not sure who did. So <laughs> right. uh, it really created quite a thing. Uh, and exactly, I came out and talked about that, but that was while we were still working out the premise for these fan shows uh, mm -hmm. where you, you and Christy both in the first couple of episodes shared some of your favorite moments. Mm -hmm. um, but mine was sort of prescribed by right. the history of cat rolling. We and so you, we made you do it. So. Right. Well, you didn't exactly have to twist my arm, but uh, as a result, I never got to bring a favorite episode of my own. And I've been sitting on this one for, I don't know how long we've been doing this now since episode three. It's one that has always stuck with me. And I'm so glad that we're talking about it tonight. Right. But we did all of the other regular stuff that we do. We asked you about your history with the show. We asked you, you know, what it meant to you and and your interactions and all that. So that's all back on episode three, House of Games of Cats of Lies, Trust No. Um, that's all back there. So uh, go listen to that. Um, but this this clip, you finally get to bring your favorite clip. And uh, I'm listening to that show today. Yes, I do listen to the clips, everyone. Uh, and listening to that show today... What struck me was, I mean, this was a this was a two parter with a lot of bang for your buck, because the 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 first part is kind of a a deep dark look into Luke's life at the time, and the second part is a fascinating sort of recap of Ira Glass's interview with Mike Daisy after he got caught in his lies about his uh, iPad story that he did on This American Life. Um, so, I mean, fascinating episode and we're going to play the whole thing. 
for you today all the way through because it is fantastic and you will be riveted. But Bobby, why did you choose this particular episode? Because I didn't even, uh, I remembered both of these things happening, but I didn't remember them being on the same show. Yeah. Um, both of these things stuck out to me as strong TBTL memories. And at first they stood out independently of one another. Um, but then realizing they were on the same show is what really sealed the deal for me. Uh, I chose this for a few reasons. The first is that the episode is from March 19th, uh, 2012. It's episode number 1040. And it's uh, not my first episode. Uh, I became a TBTL 10 kind of loosely in the late 800s, early 900s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in and out in the 800s. In fact, maybe even early 800s. I could never answer the question of what my first episode was. I really don't remember. Uh, As Christy knows, one of my favorite earlier episodes is the TV theme songs, Why It Matters, which was her favorite Mm -hmm. clip from the first or second episode of LRB um, and features her letter was uh, the impetus for that episode. We do. Um, we, we, we do allow our hosts to choose episodes with which they are heavily involved as their favorite episodes. But <laughs> listeners, we don't. If you want to celebrate whatever show that you were on, that's not going to happen. So choose right. a different show. <laughs> uh, but this one always stuck with me because I feel like I was still getting to know Luke and we were all getting to know Andrew mm-hmm. uh, because this is only uh, well, I mean, the thousandth episode was still Jen. And Andrew was still just sort of in the wings. And only 40 episodes later, Andrew is seated as the new co-host. So there's a little bit of Andrew in here. Uh, And also, I feel like we've watched Luke grow up immensely uh, from before my time being sort of the bad boy of public radio uh, and being legendarily a wreck. Yeah. and and just to the point of almost dangerous, as this episode alludes, to now being the daytime Emmy Award winner that he is. <laughs> married living, man. Married living. man, living in the suburbs, uh, raising a pod dog, regularly Pouring talking. concrete or cement. Or cement, yeah. Who knows? The world will never know. Uh, uh, daydreaming of having another kid, yeah. which comes up on the show from time to time these days. You know, the maturity has just changed so much. And this episode... I genuinely think was a low point. Maybe it wasn't the rock bottom that made Luke realize he had to get his shit together, but I think it's the lowest point that he's shared on TBTL. I really do. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of them, but this one's pretty bad. Well, we are not, um, you know, we're not revealing anything that Luke hasn't revealed on the show, but uh, I believe this was around the time when he had broken up with Vanessa, his longtime girlfriend, and she had moved uh, away from the house in Mount Baker and he was alone and he was partying every night, which he's, he said many times he would finish the show and go out partying. And, uh, it, I I think it's really telling that the Friday afternoon plan was we're going to cut out early and go to the casino and drink and then get back in time to go out with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of pre, functioning and and done way out of town. I don't know if you know the geography here, but they would go to the Snoqualmie Casino, which is at least 30 to 40 minutes away from town and probably an hour, at least an hour away from North Seattle, where they like to do most of their um, partying up on Aurora. So there was a lot of uh, rolling partying going on. 
at that time. And that's, I mean, he said that they had a designated driver and that's, that's fine. But, but, um, man, right. that's, you don't want to be starting that early and, you know, um, we won't go too much into where he ended up or, or why, but I will say there was some foreshadowing here about his, um, he's still very loose with his IDs and his wallets and various things that he needs to get through the world. But it was never at a, at a worse, it was never at a lower point than this particular episode. Well, um, and, and you mentioned something that's worth bringing up and, and listeners are probably catching on now because we're skipping the uh, usual Christie questions. Uh, since I've already been run through them, we're going to talk about the clip before we play it. Um, it's, it's worth noting that before he went out on this adventure, he had already lost or at least misplaced. He knew where they were. He just didn't have his license or his primary debit card. And even though he knew where they were, he managed to not go get them back. And so, I mean, he wasn't starting from a good place. No, certainly not. Um, the other uh, aspect of this episode, after they get through uh, Luke's story of that evening and morning, is uh, the Mike Daisy incident with um, This American Life. And this, I think, might have been the first time that uh, someone's pants caught on fire on This American Life, but it, it hasn't been the last. There have been some more recent examples. And I yeah. think when you get into the sort of um, journalism, storytelling as journalism that This American Life and so many shows do now, uh, you you run some risks because I think this American life represents themselves as a journalism show. Uh, but you know, it's, they are told as compelling stories. And sometimes those, those journalism slash journalists slash storytellers will take some liberties. And I think the problem is that Mike Daisy is way more of a storyteller than he is a journalist. And he's a fine storyteller. It's very compelling stuff, but it, a lot of it seems to be made up of whole cloth. Well, there's something important to remember here with This American Life. It's, you know, I think the reason that I'm glad you're on this one with me is we both study journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, you say broadcast, I study print. Um, when David Sedaris has a run on This American Life, um, there's probably some embellishment there in his yes, storytelling. But right. he's not accusing a giant multinational company <laughs> of of dangerous labor management. Right. Stakes are very low when David Sedaris is talking about uh, one time he shit his pants in Greece or something, you know? Right. I was about to say, yeah, this bakery in France, if he got the kind of tart he bought wrong, uh, nobody's going to care. Right. And, and it's deliciously awkward. I know you like awkward stuff as much as I do, Bobby. Yeah. And the, the, the clips they play of Ira Glass going after Mike Daisy and the silences which Ira, Ira leaves in. Oh my God. It's so delicious. Yeah. This will be a note for Jeremy mainly, but everyone who's listening, we run a filter over our show where we eliminate the extra gaps and silences. <laughs> I'm going to run that over our talking, but I'm not going to run that over the Ella, the TBTL clip because those pauses are cringeworthy and so <laughs> deliberate. Um, I, I'm personally just amazed that, that uh, Mike Daisy was willing to go back. I mean, I guess he had to, what else was he going to do? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he went back on and basically got, uh, Chris Hansen. Yeah. By Ira Glass. And it's really, yeah. really painful. And it's, it's interesting to hear Ira Glass angry. Cause you just don't get that 
very often because right. he is super angry when he's talking here. Um, now, do you have anything else about that? I do have one more thing um, about Mike Daisy. And that is uh, many, many years ago, this jerk named James Fry wrote um, an autobiographical thing about his uh, stay in rehab. And he he talked in detail about how he was kicking, I think it was prescription drugs. And, you know, something that I went through, kicking a, you know, serious addiction to per- prescription drugs. And reading that account, I knew that almost every word there was a lie because from the very beginning of, of his account of it, he remembered all the details. And not only have I been through this process, but I know a lot of people that have, and you're gone. You know, you might remember a thing here or there, but he recounts like what he ate for breakfast and, and when he woke up and what TV show was on and when he went to the day room, whatever. No, man, if you were as addicted as you say, you don't remember any of that shit. And I remember reading it and saying, this is bullshit. And then they talked to a bunch of people that were there and they said, nope, it's all bullshit. So the Mike Daisy thing to me was a nice triumph. I love it when people get caught like this. I really do, especially when they, they pretend that it's the facts and they pretend that it's autobiographical. It's not. I mean, I tell prison stories and I'm I embellish. At this point, I'm not even sure what I'm embellishing because I've convinced myself that th- certain things are the truth. But I'm not. I'm not um, representing myself as a journalist, and I'm also not making a shit ton of money and calling it an autobiography. Yeah, in hindsight, he was only at best a medium-sized country. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> big country. Yeah. He was kind of a larger Democratic Republic. Country gets bigger, gets bigger every time we tell the story. He does. He's, he's uh, 10 feet high if he's a foot. He did fall on someone on the baseball field, and that person completely disappeared for a while. <laughs> I remember that. And when, when the guy came out, his glasses were broken, but he was otherwise unharmed. I think he fell into a big country cave or something. <laughs> on that note... Um, we're going to stop now and we're going to listen to this episode, the entire episode, uh, episode again, 1040 from March 19th, 2012. It's titled Daisy Gate Continues. Um, we just ran you through basically everything you'll hear. First, you're going to hear Luke's ridiculous story of misery and woe. And then you're going to hear a breakdown follow-up of Mike Daisy's uh, story of misery and woe. Uh, and then you're going to hear a throw to a ticket giveaway for something completely pointless, but that's only the last two minutes of the clip. And after all of that is said and done, make sure you listen through to the end because uh, Mike has a Mike Daisy story that we're going to put at the end to reward you for listening. And- I had an interaction with Mike Daisy online. We had a, some Twitter interaction uh, a few months after this show aired. Yeah. And I'm going to run through a couple of the terms and highlights from the episode, just real quick lightning round style that I want to make sure everybody takes away from this. So listen now. I know I didn't tell you I'm going to do that. Listen now uh, and then uh, stick around right after for a couple of uh, final thoughts from us. Yeah, well, while you've been picking up bar whores, I have been double dropping like a bastard out there. Oh my God, you're double dropping again, Dean? Oh, I never stopped double dropping. That is unbelievable. Okay. What are you on about? What is going on? I thought we were sticking it to the man. I am not sticking it to anyone. This is my job. I have to report you to. Wow. Wow. This tattletale business is very ugly, isn't it, Dennis? TBTL. 
It can sure feel that way sometimes. Hey, folks, welcome to a Monday afternoon edition of TBTL. This is the show that's probably too beautiful to live. Mm-hmm. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Uh, this is episode 1040 in a collector's oh, series. Oh, yeah. I'm weighing in at 100. And 88 pounds. Lying is like 95% of what I do. Not true. Although, it will play a prominent role in uh, today's uh, conversation. That is for darn sure. That's because we're going to be talking about the case of uh, Mike Daisy versus The Truth. Hi, this is Luke's mom, Susie, coming tonight on TBTL. We had him on the radio show uh, some months ago, and I sort of just asked him straight out, does he tell the truth when he's doing these monologues? Uh, what's his relationship with the facts? Well, you know what I've found over the years is that the facts are your friends. Hmm. Maybe they're like frenemies. Maybe he meant the facts are your frenemies. I'm not sure. Also, we're going to give you some tickets to Emerald City Comic Con. If you can answer our question uh, sufficiently and, well, better than anyone else, we're going to uh, we're gonna ask you to describe... Two characters, if they were in a fight, who would win and why? We'll tell you who those characters are coming up in just a few moments. Uh, first, though, uh, right over there, that's... Um, New Hampshire? I, I think we may get to the point where you're not even called Andrew Walsh. You're just called New Hampshire. Just like a nom. <laughs> I mean, I know that you have mixed feelings about this being your drop. New Hampshire? I don't have mixed feelings. It but if that was just your name, you're right. You would be like a soldier in Vietnam. Right. Oh, uh, here comes New Hampshire. Here he comes. New Hampshire? He's a red shirt. You'd he'd eventually, like, you know, like on the day before you guys shipped out, you'd get shot in the gut and bleed <laughs> right, out. Right. Either that or, let's be honest, I'm the guy who shoots myself in the foot oh. to get sent back home. I think you're thinking of M.A.S.H., Oh, I was going yes. more Full Metal Jacket. Oh, I am in a world of S. Isn't that what he says <laughs> in, in Full Metal Jacket? Do you remember that he's sitting no. on the toilet with a with a with a I believe a shotgun or a rifle, and he says, "I am in a world of shit." Maybe I haven't even seen that movie. <laughs> well, here I'll just do it for you. Yeah, Let's start you from please? the beginning. New Hampshire. How was your weekend, New Hampshire? It was pretty good. I watched some uh, Cosby show. Got together with some friends and oh, watched the Cosby show. Oh, I heard you and Dottori, right? Yeah. And, and the crew with it, your Saturday night TV watching, yeah. like any cool person. I was going to say bad television, but you guys don't it's you don't you don't concede the point that this is bad television. Well, I think it started off that way. We started with Perfect Strangers, right? I think that's how this all started. Me and Sean just kind of reminiscing over some Perfect Strangers. I was like, wow, I haven't seen that in a long time. So we got together, and um, and then after that, it just kind of built into something. We watched some Elf, which I found. Um, we did a whole weekend of Elf or a whole evening of Elf, and that I found unironically funny. I thought mm-hmm. it was actually funny. Um, Perfect Strangers, not unironically funny. This mm-hmm. weekend, though, the Cosby Show, I got to say, I thought I was really going to hate it. I thought it was going to be... Very earnest mm-hmm. and just way too sappy, mm-hmm. and uh, and I gotta say, like it it was funny. That show holds up, really. Yeah, Sean, and I'm Sean had said that to me before, but I thought maybe that was just Sean's take on it. You're well, saying you all, you agree? Yeah, I agree, and uh, I don't think that you and I agree on um, much on <laughs> anything really. But no, I mean, I think a lot of TV we do our interests diverge. But uh, I was surprised. I'm a really cynical person, and I thought for sure, like you know, Cosby doing his Cosby thing that the whole yeah. world adored. Like, it could just be for like so a pudding long. pops commercial. 
Exactly, and there was some of that over-exaggeration, um, but it's actually, it's, it's worth seeing. This was season five. I don't know what happens after season five, but yeah. there were definitely some really good moments. And also, chemistry is really important to me on TV shows, and the chemistry he has with his wife is, it stands up today. Huh. Uh, well, I did not <clears throat> spend my weekend calmly watching television of a bygone era. I um, Did you notice, by the way, did you get a shot of these guns? I didn't even notice that. It Are looks things like, that bad? Yeah, it looks like if you were to look, and I guess you could see it on the on the stick cam right now uh, on the internet uh, camera. You could see I have what looked to be a lot of cuts on my wrist, as if I was just trying to feel something. Oh my god! What I was trying to feel was uh, what it's like to not fall into a crick near Issaquah on Friday. What happened was Jessica and the mummy and I have had this kind of now. It's happened twice this Friday afternoon, friendo hang, where we get an early start on the weekend and we go out to the old uh, Snoqualmie Casino, hang out a little bit, have some fun. And then the idea is we come back to Seattle. By starting so early, we come back to Seattle, um, time to, to hang out with normal people that night. But what's the problem for me is that I'm so elated and excited when it's time for this Friday hang that I, 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 go, I go a little too hard. Too early? Brooklyn, I go, I peak early. A little too hard, a little too early. And um, so I, you know, at the casino was definitely putting them back. And uh, by the time, I wasn't driving, I'll tell everyone. I had a designated driver, thankfully. But by the time uh, we stopped at, uh, we stopped at the old uh, taco time in Issaquah, I I decided I needed to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Number one, no big whoop. And so we were parked in the parking lot, and I ran over to this little kind of what looked like a you know little stand of trees, and I uh, I, I kind of jogged over there quickly. And as I got to the edge of those little trees, what I realized was, oh, those are actually kind of tall, and they're growing up from this gully, which goes into a freezing cold glacial river that runs near the Taco Time in Issaquah parking lot. And I realized I have a little too much momentum right now. I'm going to go right down into this. So I had to just grab onto whatever was nearby. And what was nearby was the thorniest thorn bushes that's, that have ever thorned a thorn. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Look, I'm going to – I don't do this a lot. You're not going to enjoy this. But check out my stomach. Jesus. I have like – I have massive slashes on my fupa. I have, or my Dunlap. Like fupa, maybe only maybe that's only for women. I never heard it called a fupa. I think that's a lady thing. Uh, I am just covered in scratches. Your arms, though, are even worse. Like seeing that, you really do look like you were just. I would. I would. I, fi- I found thorns like in my skin. You know, days later. And this is pretty early on in the night's activities. Mm, I'd say it's probably nine. Yeah. That's... Here's the thing, though. I didn't let that stop me. I didn't let a little. Here's one of the things. This is how this is how crazy the the drunk human brain is. My friend uh, Jessica jumps out of the car and runs over and goes, "Oh my god, are you okay?" And I'm sitting now. I can't get up because the only thing to pull myself up with are these, like ro- like imagine the thorniest rose bush rose bush ever, and then just imagine one of those that doesn't even have roses on it. I don't know what the purpose of this plant is. Okay, so anyway. In my crazy brain, I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. She goes, no, you really look like you need a help. Like, no, I'm good. 
And for some reason, I wouldn't let her help me up. I guess I, my brain was thinking she'll never know <laughs> just how pathetic this is. So she's like, oh, okay. So she leaves. And then the mummy strolls over. He had gone to a different area to relieve himself. He comes over. He's like, do you need a hand up? And I was like, yes. Really? Seriously. I don't know why. I think I, maybe I felt emasculated. Wow. Really? That surprises me. You and Jessica are you just close, would, close And you would also figure at this point, nothing could make me feel more emasculated <laughs> than various events in my life. Well, maybe it was because you didn't want her to see that you soiled yourself. <laughs> well, I think there was definitely a possibility at that point. So this was not even for me the end of the night, though. We ended up at the gate. I got a text from Camaro Kev saying, do you have any memory of us doing Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go? Uh, no. Wake Me Up Before You Don't Remember That, I think, was the version of the song I was singing. It ended up that I was, after going somehow back to the casino, to Goldie's, I don't know. I, I, at this point, I was no longer with my car. This is the good news. I'd left my car at the house. So I'm not drunk driving. But I am down to one bank card because I'd lost my, my real bank card and my driver's license. That night? No, previously. What I'd actually done is left them in the pneumatic tube at the bank. We were talking about how much we love those, those things. Those things are freaking yeah. awesome. But sometimes so – I, I forgot. I left. And so they called me. They said, we have your card. I was like, OK. But I kept forgetting to go back. So I just had this one card that uh, I then managed to lose that night. And I found myself uh, about, I don't know, 8 in the morning or maybe even later in Wedgwood. And I have no money. I have no way to get money. My phone's dead. I can't call anyone because I don't know anyone's phone number. And I just – I realized, oh my god, I'm a homeless person right now. You're alone? Alone. In Wedgwood? In Wedgwood. I have no idea how I got there. I'm just like – I have a – basically – I mean I basically am like walking down the street and I realize I am completely screwed. So I go to a bus stop. I'm waiting for the bus. Where did you come to? So somewhere in Wedgwood, like passed out. Outside, yes. under the under the yeah. morning sky. Yeah. So I uh, go and I just think to myself. First, I'm really kind of freaked out because I'm like, I have no. I did have my passport, so I have a passport. I have n- no way to get money. I have no money on me, and my phone is dead. And I just thought to myself. I did have a Starbucks gift card in my wallet, which I and I was walking past the Starbucks. But this is the crazy part. Even at that point, I thought I don't want to eat that shit. <laughs> so I go and I stand by the bus stop, and I'm just like, I'm just thinking, I don't know what my plan is here, but maybe the bus driver will take mercy on me and let me get on the bus. I haven't taken a bus in like 15 years, and um, I'm waiting. And then there's a girl standing by the bus, kind of looks like 20s ish, hipster ish. And I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, do I do I like try to ask her for money? So I go up to her and I go – I start by going, I'm a normal person. That's my opening line. Mm-hmm. I'm a normal person. And nothing makes a person think you're less of a normal person than when you open with the line, I'm a normal person. Yep. And I'm like I somehow lost my bank card and all my money last night. And my phone is dead, and I pull out my phone and show it to her. But what I also realize is that when people are panhandling, they always have a, usually a pretty yeah. good story. Yeah. Like they probably have an old broken iPhone that doesn't work where they're like, look at my phone. It's dead. Yeah. So nothing I'm doing is really seeming to my work. My car broke screen. down. It's yeah. right around the corner. They're holding a you know, gas right. can or whatever. Um, and I'm like, that's weird because I see you in this QFC parking lot every single day. <laughs> Boy, you have really bad luck with gas. Right. 
So <laughs> I'm like, I go, I just was wondering, I go, can I borrow a dollar to take the bus? <laughs> and she goes, here's all the change I have. She gives really me really fast. Like you, like she like gives probably, me yeah. 70 cents and I'm holding 70 cents. And I go, I go, uh, okay. She goes, actually, she goes, I think the bus is $2, but you can just ask the guy and he'll just let you on. And I was like, oh, well, in that case, just take your 70 cents back because I'll just ask the guy. I don't really know the rules of this. She's like, no, 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 just hang on to it. And I was like, I don't want your 70 cents. What I, <laughs> I wanted to say to her, like, I'm a real human being with an actual job. You may listen to my podcast and not even realize it. I didn't, by the way. But I felt so pathetic. I'm holding 70 cents that some I panhandled from some lady. Can I interject with a quick question? Sure. You have a really pained look on your face right now. Did you spend it on booze, Luke? <laughs> oh, yeah. My car was around the corner. <laughs> I faked the whole thing. So I think what happened was I met some dudes at the casino, and we decided to go hang out in Wedgwood. Because you went to the casino again after, after the Mandarin after... Gate. But at that point, everybody else evaporated. And then I remember complaining at the casino about the fact that they don't serve booze after 2 a.m. and making friends with some dudes and then somehow ending up in Wedgwood and then ending up like just walking down a street in Wedgwood. Wow. So so um, uh, the bus comes. I get on. I do what the girl told me. I just go to the bus driver. Uh, this is all the money I have. And I give, he's like, okay. And then I'm like, and can I also have a transfer? <laughs> Because I, I needed to get – That's the oldest scam in the book. Well, I mean this bus wasn't going to go to my house. This bus was going to go to the U District. So I get – and what was actually kind of cute was I give the guy the change and he gives me the transfer. And I sit down in my seat and I can see the girl who I bummed the money off of looks at me and she gives me a thumbs up. <laughs> like, we did it, you poor homeless man. That's great. So I ride the bus down to whatever I do, the transfer. And um, I uh, – I was – it was amazing – this is going to – this now is going to make me sound like a total douche. But I don't really take the bus very much and there's – the downside of the bus is it's really slow, really much slower than driving your car. Um, the upside is that you meet a lot of fascinating people. Yeah. Like really and truly. On one of the buses, I met these two – I think – I don't know if they were fully homeless but pretty close to homeless guys but who were just like – Super nice, and they're the kind of people that I constantly avoid eye contact with. I was going to say, did you start a conversation? No, I, I was. I, I think I asked the driver, "How do you get to Mount Baker from mm. this bus?" And the driver didn't know, but one of the guys overheard me, and then he was trying to give me his advice, which he didn't really know how to get here either. But he was just like, he was just kind of being helpful. And then we started a conversation. One of them had like a paper bag with all this like kind of random like. Groceries, but that'd be overstating it. It may have been things he fished out of a dumpster somewhere. But he had this like piece of cake that was like sealed in like a plastic little dome thing. And these two guys were going back and forth about how good this cake was going to be. And you asked for some. Oh, and I took it. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, but anyway, it's talking to these guys, and like you know, it just it was for me. It was like really good to just remember. Oh, somebody mm -hmm. might be one of the guys. His whole his whole face was uh, just like totally not his whole face. Half of it looked like he had fallen off a moving motorcycle. Like he was. Like recently or – Recently. It, like, it wasn't like he was deformed. It was like he had just mm. totally like hurt himself really badly and had like an eye patch on. But it was like his eye was like weeping because of like the injury. So he had to keep pulling his eye patch up and dabbing mm. his weeping eye. So by the way, I think weeping eye has another connotation also if I remember. But anyway – sorry. This story is getting way longer than it was supposed to. Uh, then when I got on the next bus, there is this like a girl in 11th grade who's got her cello. And she's on her way to Garfield for music practice. And we start chatting. And she turns out to be like the nicest, 
most poised kid and like she's going to this music camp called Tanglewood in Massachusetts where a friend of mine went in high school and we start talking about uh, you know different kinds of like cello movements and things and like it was so much fun and she's in this band that just won this contest at EMP called the Sound Off she's in like an indie band anyway it's like just a great thing and I, I how did you can I kind of interrupt for a second? Make this story a little bit longer. How did you um, how did you strike up that conversation? Because I got to be honest with you, I like kids. I like precocious kids around that age, and I'm not even joking here. But I find it really kind of hard. I, I get very uncomfortable around them, especially if they're not with an adult, because you know, stranger danger. I automatically well, no, assume that, was, that I look like a creep, and and I did look like a creep at this point, and that was a legitimate concern that I probably shouldn't have. I should probably should not have overlooked because I, she could have been like she could have just maced me, right? But I don't. You know what it was? I just think I felt like so alone in the world because <laughs> I couldn't talk to anyone, my phone and all this stuff. That I just was like, I need to make a human connection. I mean, I wasn't consciously thinking that, but that must have been somewhere in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. So we had a delightful chat. Her name was Taylor. Nice. She's in a band called Deep Wake from yeah. Bainbridge. Takes the bus from Bain. Takes the ferry from Bainbridge all the way, and then takes a series of buses and goes to Garfield High. Anyway, I got home and uh, I, I have to say I f- was mad at myself for basically almost getting myself killed slash possibly raped from Todd and these other dudes I was hanging – that didn't really happen but mm-hmm. could have. Right. Um, and I um, – uh, but I also was like, wow, this was an adventure and – I now know that if I find myself somewhere and I have no money, I can probably just get on the bus. I'm not planning on making this a lifestyle yeah, choice. Yeah, maybe, maybe we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, but that was, uh, that was my Friday and Saturday into the afternoon. Let me ask you this. Sure. So your plan to not do any more fruit days. That wasn't a fruit day. I didn't eat anything that I wasn't supposed to I eat. I thought you don't drink. No, I, I've amended that. Oh do, oh, do we know this? Am I out of the loop? No, I don't think so. Um, so okay, so drinking is in. <laughs> drinking is hot for 2012. <laughs> no, oh my god, this is just getting so boring. Well, you know, by our standards, it's probably about the average. But uh, no, what happened was I was thinking about it. The because this slow carb diet, they say you can have a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. But what I've realized is it's just based on what this guy Tim Ferriss has done, who wrote this book about mm-hmm. it, and he likes wine. So he was like, yeah, you know what? I can have a couple glasses of wine. It doesn't affect my weight loss. So I thought I'm going to try an experiment because wine actually has carbs in it. If you want to go for something that has less carb, uh, you know, a vodka soda is a pretty inert drink. Really? So I just thought I'm going to try that and instead of where I would have had a couple of glasses of wine, I'll have a couple of vodka sodas and just see what happens. And I didn't in any way – it didn't in any way change the weight loss. Okay. And so – and the other thing that I had to do was say I have to be really careful that if I do start drinking, I don't get drunk and then completely just like peace out on the diet. Like just start eating yeah, terrible right. food. So I was like – the deal I made with myself was if I can just – if I can have a few drinks and maybe get a little tipsy but not find myself at Jack in the Box, mm-hmm. that's – then that will be the deal with myself because what's re- what really kills me when I start drinking is I end up eating bad food. Right. And this weekend you – as far as you know, that didn't happen. As far as I yeah, have any memory of. No. Um, so – and I, you know, I, I was, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm down to 188, which is good. I'm below 190, and I'm going down. Nice. So it's on the weight loss tip working fine. But you're right. Problem is, in my stomach at any given time is just a giant fist-sized ball of protein, <laughs> and I feel like the alcohol hits it and just like bounces off the side <laughs> and bounces back up into my brain. Well, I'm just hoping that you didn't make up this whole story to hide the fact that you're now a cutter. 
That's all. <laughs> Your arms look bad, man. I'm serious. That's why I'm lying is like 95% of what I do. Hey, speaking of lies, Daisygate continues. <laughs> Uh, and that is the continuing story of Mike Daisy and his um, – what sounds like was some fabrications related to his latest, uh, I guess you could say, stage show called The Agony and the Ecstasy of Steve Jobs. We talked about it on Friday a little bit, um, but we've now actually heard the show. So the way this all – everybody probably knows this. Apologies for um, uh, belaboring it if you already are up to speed on this, but Mike Daisy uh, did a – a segment on This American Life recently, and it was apparently the most downloaded episode ever of This American Life, which is crazy to think about because they have a lot of listeners, and they've had many a popular show. And um, maybe because of all that attention, uh, a public radio reporter that works for Marketplace named Rob Schmitz, who works in China, started to kind of dig in a little bit to this story that Mike Daisy tells, which is uh, the story of – uh, his time in China visiting this plant where Apple products are made called Foxconn. And when we had Mike Daisy on the radio show, the Ross and Burbank show, which Andrew's the producer of, like what, six months ago? It was, um, I think, yeah, uh, maybe it was May. It was May. There had, there had always been some kind of rumblings around Mike Daisy's work that it wasn't really straight up honest. Because he had done this um, – he had done – his first big show was about working at Amazon, and some people who worked at Amazon, some people who I knew were like, yeah, I don't know if that's exactly how it happened. So I actually asked him on the show uh, what his uh, what his deal was with that, and this is this is what he said back then. This is partly autobiographical, partly journalism, but it kind of gets blended together, and I'll just put it bluntly. The caption that The Stranger put – uh, and their review of your show, and they are fans. Brendan Kiley, who wrote the piece, it, uh, adores you. He said, uh, no. Mike Daisy is a masterful storyteller, but facts are a bitch. How do you reconcile the telling a good story with also trying to get the facts right? Oh. And when do you decide what is the more important goal? Oh, well, you know what I've found over the years is that the facts are your friends. Like, uh, if there's ever a case where I'm telling a story and I find the facts are inconvenient... Uh, nine times out of ten, it means I haven't thought about the story deeply enough. I really believe in this because the world is more complex and more interesting than my imagination. So the world is full of really fascinating things. And you have so many tools on stage as a storyteller. Like anytime you want something to happen, you don't have to pretend it happened and mm -hmm. lie. You can use a flight of fancy. You can say, I imagine what this must look like. You can say anything and you can go in whatever direction you need to go but be clear with the audience that you are at one moment you're reporting the truth that has literally happened in another case you're using hyperbole and you just have to be really clear about when you're using each tool um no for me it's not actually it's 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 not that it's not actually that hard um if and this is a big if if you're pretty scrupulous about not believing you know the story before you see it. Well, we know you're good at lying. Um, so that's what he told us, and I thought, okay, that sounds reasonable. Um, and then they actually started to dig into uh, this monologue, and what happened was this guy, Rob Schmitz, called up Mike Daisy's translator and interviewed her, 
And first you're going to hear a little bit of Mike Daisy from uh, his monologue telling one of the most compelling, for obvious reasons, most compelling parts of the show. And then you, right after that you're going to hear his um, – the translator who was finally tracked down and what her take on it was. I reach into my satchel and I take out my iPad and when he sees it, his eyes widen because one of the ultimate ironies of globalism at this point, there are no iPads in China. And he's talking supposedly to this guy who had his hand mangled building an iPad. He's never actually seen one on this thing that took his hand. I turn it on, unlock the screen, and pass it to him. He takes it. The icons flare into view, and he strokes the screen with his ruined hand. And the icons slide back and forth. And he says something to Kathy. And Kathy says, he says, it's a kind of magic. Now that is some compelling stuff. Except it, it doesn't appear that it happened. No, this is not true. It's, you know, it's just like a movie <laughs> scenery. <laughs> it sounds like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very emotional, but um, not true to me. So this has touched off this big... <laughs> you know, this is funny, though, Andrew. This is kind of like the, the, the end of The Sopranos. <laughs> like, I think to the people that we hang out with... It felt like the biggest thing that had ever happened to television, but like it was a rounding error compared to the number of people that would watch just say like, you know, Home Improvement. Right. Or some other like, you know, forgettable sitcom. So to us, it feels like, oh my God, you know, there's a beef between This American Life and Mike Daisy. And, and it seems like all of my friends are putting it up on Facebook and everyone's sort of talking about it. Although I guess probably the world at large doesn't really care about this story nearly as much as we do. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also – I mean one thing about this, and this is kind of a cynical point of view. I listened to this This American Life episode twice this weekend as a matter of fact. And once. we should say that this this episode this weekend was an hour-long retraction, right? Yeah, it was an hour-long retraction. I listened to it once by myself and then I wanted my girlfriend Genevieve to hear it too. So we listened to it again. And um, so obviously I found it really compelling. The cynical side of me, although I mean it as a total compliment to Ira Glass, is Ira also understood that this retraction could be amazing radio. Hmm. You know, he he's a he's a showman in his own way, and Mike Daisy is a showman in, in his own way. And um, you know, Ira could have done the last segment of his show, just you know, quick apology, maybe some of this, but he realized this will be amazing tape, and it was. And they put together. I wouldn't be surprised if this retraction show ends up with even more downloads than the original. It was fantastic. Uh, I was uh, texting with Ira today about this, trying to see if he wanted to come on and talk about it. He said that he just feels like it's already turned into this huge big thing and – he was, but he actually told us he was like, just use you know any kind of excerpt from the show that you want. So we're going to play this this American Life stuff with his permission. But um, this is. So they have Mike Daisy, to his credit, agreed to go on This American Life and talk with Ira and one of the producers who'd worked on the show. And uh, this is kind of a long piece of tape, but just take a listen in case you missed it over the weekend. This was Ira and the producer trying to figure out why Mike Daisy did what he did. 
When Brian and I asked Mike for contact information for his translator, Kathy, to confirm that she witnessed the things that Mike describes, he told us that her real name was not Kathy, but Anna, which isn't true. He told us that the cell phone number that he had for her didn't work anymore, that he had no way to reach her. And when I had Mike in the studio, I asked him why he misled us about all that. Mike said that he didn't want us to contact her because, he said, he thought that she did not want to be mentioned in his monologue and didn't know that she was mentioned in his monologue. And he thought that the idea of being named in his monologue would frighten her. When we asked Kathy about this, she says that that was not true at all. So I asked Mike the next logical question. Were you afraid that we would discover something if we talked to her? No, not really. Really? There was no part of you which thought like, okay, well, the hexane thing didn't really happen when I was there. And did you feel like there was something that we would discover by talking to her? Well, I did think it would unpack the complexities of, of like how, how the story gets told. I'm going to pause it right there. I see you. I see you shaking your head. Well, I just thought it would. I wasn't lying. I wasn't scared of like um, the story not being you know as good as it could have. I just didn't want to unpack the complexities. Right. I didn't want to unpack the complexities of the story. It's just such that does sound like a little bit of a uh, you know a sort of fancy way to try to uh, justify the fact that you were you saying something that wasn't true. And I was thinking to myself, a good interviewer would ask. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does yeah. that mean? Unpack the complexities. Well, it means it means that you know, just like like the hexane thing. I mean, I think I'm agreeing with you. Now, the hexane thing is that uh, he had also Mike in his uh, in his play in his monologue talks about meeting with these these workers who'd been poisoned with this certain kind of gas, and th- that never happened. And he sort of admitted to it earlier in the show that it had never happened, um, just by way of context. I mean, with the hexane, we approached you and asked you specifically about that. There's an email that that Brian sent you about the hexane. He, He wrote, Apple's 2011 report, this is their responsibility report, acknowledges the hexane problem at two plants, one at WinTech and another at a logo supplier, but not at Foxconn. These workers you were talking to in the monologue, were they from Foxconn, do you remember, or from other plants? And and at that point, you could have come back to us and said, oh, no, no, I didn't meet these workers. You know, this is just something that I inserted in the monologue based on things I had read and things I had heard in Hong Kong. Um, but instead, you lied further and you said you wrote the workers were from WinTech, not Foxconn. Why not just tell us? What really happened at that point? I think I was terrified. Of what? That... I think I was terrified that if I untied these things, that the work that I know is really good and tells a story, 
that does these really great things for making people care that would come apart in a way where where it would ruin everything. Now, that seems to be somewhat genuine. He says he was terrified, but it still sounds like ultimately what he's saying was, I was terrified that everyone would misunderstand. Yeah. I was terrified that people would think that because I didn't really meet some of these people I said I met, that they would fail to understand the genius. And also, they would fail to mobilize against these forces of, you know, the these evil plants in China. So that's why I was terrified. But not – I was just terrified that this would be embarrassing and that people would, you know – People would, would would realize that I had been looking people in the eye and saying stuff to them that was actually not true. You know, I feel like the problem here is not that he put together a show that was a composite of things that he witnessed firsthand and reports that he had seen and filling in the gaps. Like if he wants to go on these shows and say, I am a storyteller, this is – you're going to the theater. Not everything you see at the theater is um, – is honest or 100% accurate. I totally believe that and I accept that. If I were doing it, I might say, you know, to the actual audience that, you know, the, this is not 100% firsthand information, but, you know, I would do an explanation. But I even understand the argument for saying you don't have to do that. It's theater. Right. You're going in with a certain and that's explanation. Been, and that's been Daisy's, that's been Daisy's um, defense has been uh, this was theater, not journalism. And my mistake was that I, I let them play some of my theater monologue on their journalism show. But there's a problem with that reasoning, right? Yeah. Which is where I think you're going with it. Yeah, of course. And not only on their show, but but everybody's show. Yeah. You asked him nine months ago yeah. specifically where – I can't remember exactly how you put it, but where do you draw the line between storytelling and, fic- and fiction and fact and fiction? And he should have said – Great question, Luke. That's always a good way to answer. Yeah. Uh, great question, Luke. Well, you know, when I'm on stage, I am telling a story. So, for example, I tell this story about this guy with a mangled hand using an iPad. There was, you know, I kind of, I kind of, uh, there's some gray area there. I didn't see that firsthand, but it really pushed this story forward. And it was really important for me to write a compelling story that would draw people out and see this story so that they would take the bigger lessons mm-hmm. from it and they could go on their own fact-finding missions. People do that all the time. That's a great answer yeah. to that question. And in fact, but he, he didn't. He he acts when when we we asked him that question, he acted like that was his move, which was to like sort of say you don't have to lie about things and if you are stretching the truth or doing doing something that's like hyperbole, just let the audience know. So it sounded like he had a working plan for it, but then what it sounds like is that he actually didn't really implement that. And the other thing, and this is what you said in our radio show meeting today, Andrew, which I thought was really spot on, was like if you want to do that from the stage, that's completely fine. That's theater. But when you tell that to like – you know, he was on with Chris Hayes, our buddy right. Chris Hayes on his show Up on MSNBC, uh, at, you know, a million other places. When you look people in the eye and you say something to them and it's not true about a person you met and interviewed, that's just lying. Yeah. That's actually just lying. That's not – there's no there's no way you can try to spin that into, you know uh, – the, the the world of theater versus the world of journalism, that's just saying something that's not true. Yeah, he was on a lot of network news shows, you know, talking about this Apple story. Not long after he uh, took this to Broadway, remember the New York Times wrote that huge, like I think two-part series all about the working conditions for Apple workers in China. Um, and I don't think he was quoted in there, but I feel like 
again, to his credit, I think him raising awareness of this probably right. pushed a lot of journalists to start covering it. That's, again, awesome. But then they started turning to him as an expert. And when you're sitting on a TV show, a news show, or Ross and Burbank, or whatever it is, and you're presenting yourself as an expert, and you're telling us about this guy you met with mangled hands, and you're just lying to us, it's ridiculous. It got out of control. I think he just started reading his own press releases and didn't would know how you, to stop it. Well, do you um, do you think that you would go see another, like, go see a Mike Daisy show? I don't know. You know, I wasn't a fan of Mike Daisy before this because I didn't know he existed. You guys introduced me to Mike Daisy when you asked me to book him. And then he came on our show, and I thought he was amazing. I've heard excerpts, and I, and I think I would love – as a matter of fact, I was uh, hunting around the internet. I was looking to see if he had other um, other monologues I could download and listen to because I love listening to yeah. radio shows that are storytelling and narrative. Um, and again, I don't care if they're 100% true, if that's how they're labeled. I just want somebody to tell me a story. But now I just don't like him. <laughs> You know, I don't think that I would be able to just comfortably sit in my seat and just watch him tell this dramatic story just after hearing this, you know, conversation that he had off stage with Ira Glass. I don't trust him and I don't like it. Um he apparently so his show in New York, which was a gigantic hit on Broadway. I mean, it may not have been gigantic in that it made more money than anything else, but it was hugely profitable because you know, Broadway shows are like Super big productions. This is Mike Daisy sitting behind a table, mm-hmm. and people were going to this and watching this, uh, you know, along the same numbers as who were going to these big, big time shows. So this was like a very successful thing for him, and um, he apparently got a standing ovation at the end of his. It just ended its run yesterday. He got a standing ovation at the end. That's why here he's coming out to Seattle apparently and Cornish. He's going to be the con- the commencement speaker at Cornish College uh, oh, of the wow. Arts, and they're giving him an honorary degree. Really? I wonder if they're going to give him the honorary student loan debt. <laughs> that a degree from Cornish College of the Arts comes with, um, which I think is interesting. I think that there are a lot of people in the theater world who are rallying around him. Um, also, uh, the Seattle rep was talking about having him back, and I guess they told somebody that they stand behind him too. They're not. Hmm. They're not. So, like, I think in the theater world, I think everyone in the theater world is sort of feeling a little. As you would say, touchy mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Are you sure that you didn't just mishear touchy as a kid? Look it up. I look find, it up. I you know, I, I just thought while you, while you while you look up yeah, these please. words, I just remembered another amazing thing I heard him do. Um, parts of was on the show Studio Three Hundred and Sixty, uh, another public radio mm-hmm. show. They had excerpted him um, talking about Nick, Nick. Is it Nikolai or Nicholas Tesla? Uh, Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. And um, I didn't realize that he had done a, a monologue about Tesla as well. And I was listening to it on this public radio show. They played big chunks of his monologue. And it was so good. I think that so you know, good. See, now maybe that's the deal. Maybe that's the answer to this is that Daisy should just stick with things that we know there's no way he could have been a part of. Because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't like say he. And I remember when I was playing racquetball with Nikola Tesla. See, so then it's like, great. It's like, dude, use your imagination. Get into some, like, blending of of, of reality and fiction. Go for it. But just if you're talking about things in the current world that you're saying you went and did. For me, it's not even that. I swear if he had answered your question in May and just said, yeah, this is a combination of fact and fiction. But, like, at its core, there is truth with a capital T. But no, I didn't meet all of these people and didn't go down letter for letter. Right. That's all I needed to hear in May, and I would still – I would be defending him to the death right now. Maybe right. not to the death. I don't care that much. Well, yeah, that would be a really sad thing to die over, Yeah, defending him. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, 
I wonder, I wonder what it's going to look like for him going forward because, um, because the well, I wonder what the what the kind of memory is for the public radio types. Because let's be honest, the people who know who Mike Daisy is and and like him are exactly the same people who listen to public radio in this American life. And I don't know if if they're if they're the kind of people who are. I, I feel like so much of what they like, and I'm at the front of the line for this stuff. So I should say the kind of stuff we like, right? Because we're all kind of in the same boat. The kind of stuff we like, it's so much of it's about the idea of the person as much as the actual work mm-hmm. that it's like, I'm kind of with you. It's like, this just seems to me like, like a really just dishonest thing to do because of how much he got asked about whether or not he was being honest. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even delved into, I mean, that's what we played some of the tape, but, you know, a big part of what Ira was grilling him about in this in this redo show hmm. um was I don't understand, you know, I don't understand why you lied to us. Like my producer wrote you this email that said specifically, you know, was it in this town or in this town where you met this person? You could have written back and just said, well, actually, I just kind of made that person up. It was a composite of several people. But instead, you told us it was this town. And he just lied to journalists and reporters looking for details of a story. He just straight up lied. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably... I uh, I would imagine it's going to be difficult for him to for him to like not have people remember this because uh, although you got that guy what James Fry mm-hmm. uh, and he he managed to actually come back and write a, a, a fictional book that was um, very well received was it very well received I didn't know that well you know Jen's the reader on the show I think Jen told us I'm learning how though mm-hmm. learning or learning <laughs> I think Jen told us that it was it got good reviews or maybe I read a review of it somewhere. Um, and and so I don't know maybe maybe for Mike he just needs to kind of re he needs to just reposition everything and just go into doing stuff where he's like look this is not supposed to be based in fact yeah Mike's a young talented guy and you know there is a truth to the uh, no such thing as bad publicity so I do not think this is the end of his career I don't think it should be the end of his career but I I don't need to hear his voice anymore I you know heard it a lot weird? this weekend you know what was what was weird is that he did a piece and I. Th- thought it was for This American Life, but maybe it was The Moth. It was one of those things where he talked about the fact that he had a kid when he was in college. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and um, I, you know, obviously I, ha- I had a kid when I was in high school. And so when I heard that story, I thought, oh, that's weird. Because I, I have some mutual friends with him because he's, you know, been around in Seattle. So I just thought, wow, well, there's some parallels here. And so when he came on the show to talk about the agony and ecstasy, we, um, I said to him something like, you know, hey, I really thought that piece you did uh, about your, you know, your daughter, or I don't know if it was a son or daughter, but that child you had in college, and he's estranged from this kid, basically, was the story. And I was like, but I felt like it was okay to talk about because he put it on The Moth or put it on This American Life. Like, it was on the radio somewhere. I heard it. So I felt like that means I can mention it to him. And I want to just kind of be like, hey, wow, this is really – I have a very similar experience. He gave me this really funny look, <laughs> this weird look. And now I'm like wondering, like, did he make that baby up? <laughs> what a freak. What if he made that baby up? That would be beyond the beyonds. Someone should check on that. Go for it, hive mind. Yeah. I, that's such an unflattering thing because it's like, to, I mean, you know, he doesn't come off as the world's most responsible human in the – in his version of the story, it would be bizarre if he made yeah. that up. Bizarre. I haven't heard it, but I'd really like to hear it. It's. A, I mean, you know, again, he's a, the guy's a really, really good storyteller. Um, 
Okay, let's do this. Let's give away a couple of tickets to Emerald City Comic Con, which is coming up. Um, not this coming weekend, but the following. So that's, I believe, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st. Off the top of me head. What are you doing there? I'm pulling out my calendar. Just checking, double checking. Just checking. I think I got. I, okay, I, I, okay. I think I got it. Okay. How how was that? Is that what uh, it is? I don't know how to use calendars. Um, well, you're on the Augustan, though, right? It <laughs> uh, looks like Friday is the 30th. Yeah, 30th, 31st, and uh, April 1st, and we're going to be there doing TBTL. Me and Andrew, and if we can try to get John, uh, what do we call him, John or Sean? Uh, John DeTori? Uh, I think he goes by either these okay. days. If we can get John DeTori the afternoon off, we're also going to try to get him there. So it would be great if you wanted to come see us. And this is the question that we devised to give away these tickets to Comic-Con. Um, uh, you know how uh, they sometimes do in like in, in geek geek lore and superhero lore, they say who could win you know Superman or Batman? Is that who it would be? Yeah, like fighting? who would win in a fight, Superman or right. Batman? So we were thinking of the people who are actually going to be at Comic-Con uh, who are kind of celeb types. Maybe we could have a, a kind of a theoretical fight between them. So we want you to email us. You can just email me, luke at tbtl.net, your suggestion for who would win in a fight between George Takai and Will Wheaton and why. Mm-hmm. Not Sulu and Crusher. George took Actual George Takai and actual Will Wheaton. Who would win in a fight and why? It- and then at Comic-Con, we're going to make them fight. Yes. Yes. That will be a big part of the show on Friday. Did they sign those releases? <laughs> I, I, I crept into their hotel room Great. and got what I think will suffice as a legal release. So uh, email me, luke at tbtl.net, and you will win two tickets to Emerald City Comic-Con, which is going to be uh, really fun. And we're really excited. Please come see us on that Friday. Bobby, it was about three months after... Uh, the incident with This American Life. And I back then, like from like 2010 to 2012, I was doing a lot of lame jokes on Twitter. I would just tell jokes all day long. I worked at night, so I would get up, I'd take care of what I needed to do, and I'd sit down and make some jokes. <clears throat> and so one day, I, I can't remember, uh, Augustin Burroughs was going through some bullshit um, that was like, it was Mike Daisy-like. And... I made a Twitter joke, which I uh, sent to you in our Facebook chat. And that joke is uh, frustrating that scientists can't come up with a way to harness the hot wind coming from Skip Bayless, Mike Daisy, and Augustin Burroughs. So, you know, not the greatest joke, but I wasn't, you know, I'm looking back on it, I'm not proud of it, but but I've seen worse from me in 2012. Um, to, to which I get a response from Mike Daisy uh, the same day, uh, where he says, top people are working on that. If successful, I would replace six different coal plants in the mid-Atlantic. <laughs> His joke is, I think, better than mine. He tagged better than me, and that was good. That's kind of what you want. You want engagement. Would you so, say Would you say it bothered you? <laughs> it did not bother me. I was impressed, you know. Uh, you know obviously, he's, he probably has had some rabbit ears since his incident. And, you right. know, he's trying to protect his online image just like Smash Mouth is. So he's looking for a disparaging remark and chose to engage by joking back and making fun of himself. So I tweeted at him, at M Daisy. That's his thing, not Mike Daisy, at M Daisy. Thanks for responding. A sense of humor about yourself is the best way to disarm detractors and you have that wired. Best wishes. So uh, today I was looking for 
I was looking for this material because I knew we were going to be talking about Mike Daisy and I remembered we had some kind of interaction, which I came away impressed. And uh, while we're talking, let me get the last thing that I saw when I was I was doing the research. Emily helped me with this. Well, so, while you pull that up, I'll just note, I think one of the reasons you may have, I, I don't know if his number of Twitter followers dropped dramatically from his height of his career, but um, he has, as of me checking a few minutes ago, 4,362 followers, and he is not Twitter verified. So he's not one of those people on the other side of the list from Luke. Okay. I can't get the the picture to send, but what I can tell you is I went to Mike Daisy's um, Twitter page and found that after our interaction, he blocked me. So... (laughs) (laughs) So while he appeared to have, you know thick skin and laugh it off. He didn't want to see any more of old clip clop in his feed. <laughs> That's great. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't know that till today. So now back in the, back in the lost column for old Mike Daisy, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right. Before we go, I just want to go through a lightning round of things that I wrote down while listening to this clip today Uh, that are worth noting as takeaways. Uh, The first Luke has slashes on his FUPA and (laughs) Andrew does not know what a FUPA is. Oh no. Look it up kids. Uh, You all know. I thought you were going to say it. I thought it was. No, 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 no. I I would much rather leave urban dictionary to the urban uh, definers. Sure. Uh, I love that Luke. (laughs) It's, it's equivalent to a gunt. If anyone knows what that is. Right. Right. Uh, I love that uh, Camaro Cav or Pinto Ron uh, asks Luke if he remembers singing Wake Me Up Before You Go Go with him at the Mandarin Gate. He doesn't <laughs> at all. Uh, uh, yeah, I think a, if I ever sang that at the Mandarin Gate, there's a good chance that I'm not going to remember that either. Right. Uh, Luke doesn't have his ID, but he is carrying his passport, which is a recurring theme with Luke always having a second backup ID his because he, he just knows he's going to lose one. The bus driver doesn't care about your passport. No, but the. Um, that the girl at the bus stop does care that Luke says, I'm a normal person, right. <laughs> which he's right, is the opening line from every bum ever. Yeah. Um, I love that Luke has the gall to ask for a transfer sure. <laughs> after he begs his way out of the bus. Sure. I love that the bums are eating cake or not eating cake, but excited to eat cake. Hey, when I've, when I've uh, been the poorest in my life and you know, that's when you get excited about eating cake. I love that Luke chats up in a, a a teenage cello prodigy and Andrew immediately says, you know, that's creepy, right? Yes. Uh, and on to the Daisy side of things. This is the follow-up file. They talk about the Cornish commencement. You had it in your notes too. I found yeah. an article from the Seattle Times. Cornish backed off their support of Mike Daisy. I figured they would. And uh, – the best part, I'll put the link in the show notes, if only so that people can go see the picture of Mike Daisy that they use in the Seattle Times article, because it's like taken at table level and he's leaning in toward a water glass, which is in the foreground of the picture. And it is the least flattering picture <laughs> angle, mm. especially for a man with a lot of neck like Mike Daisy. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. not good. Um, also, I like that Luke just casually mentions that he was texting with Ira Glass. Oh, I didn't remember that. I, did, I guess I didn't catch that. Well, you're probably used to Luke flaunting that kind of connection. He often mentions the people in his phone. 
But I li- I thought it was funny that he, Ira said he didn't want to come on the show, but that they could use whatever tape they wanted. And he mentioned that he was texting with him when that happened. Mm. Uh, and finally, I just want to th- uh, a shout out to archivist Meryl S., who I assume is Meryl Streep, sure. who can do anything, uh, who archived this episode for uh, the LRB archive. And thanks to that description, I was able to find it because for a very long time, I could not find this episode because there are so many episodes about Luke having a rough weekend and the TBTL (laughs) descriptions don't do them all justice. Yeah, this was the roughest. Yeah. Uh, And I was able to find it thanks to Meryl. So thank you to listener and archivist Meryl. Do we know Meryl's last name or is she? I really, I have no idea. So Meryl S that's what she wrote. Uh, Christy probably knows, but I'm no Christy. Hmm. Uh, People know how to get involved. So let's skip that and just get out of here. Huh? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Until next time, this is the next party. And uh, we hate you, Mike. Daisy. Daisy. (laughs) We love you, Jen. Let me give a a Nick Armstyle. Nailed it. Nailed it!